Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Brothers and sisters, will you stand and let us consider what the scriptures say together this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And as has been already alluded, uh, we have been taking a short hiatus from our study in the book of Acts and going on a tangential study here uh, where we have been talking about this piece of our vision statement as a church family, together strengthening you to change your world for Christ. Uh, changing your world. So we have been talking about changing our world, not in any sense of what we want to see happen in the world, but what is it that God wants to see happen? And most importantly, how can he use us in the lives of the people that he has placed around us? So for the last two weeks, Pastor Phil has been asking these two questions. How are we to understand the Bible? Because as we recognize, the Bible is an old document. It's a compiled document. It has lots of different authors, lots of different contexts, many different languages that contributed to it. Uh, And we have to get from, as Pastor Phil put it, our town to Bible town. We have to cross the chasm of time and language and generations and all those kinds of things to understand clearly what the Bible says. So we have to do that hard work. And then we also have to figure out how are we going to apply this to our lives? What is the scripture saying, not just from a conceptual standpoint, but from a heart standpoint? What is it asking us to do? And so today we're going to conclude our series, this little mini series here, by asking this question. How are we to depend upon the Bible? So we're taking the pieces of understanding and application and asking how are we going to live these things out and and practically what does that look like? So um, how are we to depend upon the Bible? And this this is really kind of coming at this, uh, I don't know, you may have maybe familiar with the five solas of the Reformation, Protestant Reformation, which in October, it's a great time to reflect on these things. But one of them is sola scriptura, right? Uh, which is Latin for by scripture alone. And what we are getting at with that concept and, and our study of, of the word and how it prepares us to change our world is that the Bible is the sole inerrant source of authority 
for Christian faith and practice. Inerrant in that it is God's own word given to us, his own commands given without error, and that we practice them, and it is the sufficient source for us to know how to live. As a matter of fact, uh, 2 Peter, the writer says, Scripture reveals the knowledge of him through which we have everything we need to know how to conduct ourselves in life and godliness. It's sufficient. It gives us all those things. And uh, Paul in Ephesians 1 tells us that the Spirit is the one who enlightens the eyes of the heart. And so it's not just, you know, the authority of the church that communicates these things to you. It is us as believers able to come to the word, the inerrant word, and receive its instruction into our own hearts and live those things out, understand it and live them out because the spirit helps us to apply those things. But I'm reminded that we've gathered here as a church family this morning because we actually need to handle the word in community with one another, right? We read it on our own, we study it for our own benefit, but we also come together because as, as Proverbs remind us, there is wisdom in a multitude of godly counselors, right? And it also says that that uh, every man's way seems right to him until another comes and examines him. So as we think about our ability to personally interact with the word of God, we also need to do that in fellowship with one another, don't we? Right? We gather on a Sunday morning to evaluate ourselves and our own practices and our own understanding of the scriptures so that we can walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. So uh, that's a practice of letting the word dwell richly among us, according to Colossians 3.16. It's, it's real fellowship. It's us gathering to sharpen one another's understanding of the scripture, which means, which means that as we gather on a Sunday morning, we can't just talk about the eagles, Right? We can't just talk about what happened this week, though we want to catch each other up. We want to talk about what's God doing. And, and this is what I read this week, and this was encouraging to me. And I know that's not the na most natural type of conversation to have, and yet it's something I think we're called to do as believers when we gather on a Sunday morning. So how are we to depend upon the Bible, sola scriptura, this inerrant word of God that is given to us. Let me talk briefly about the context of the passage that we just read together in Deuteronomy 8. Uh, the people of Israel are gathered on the plains of Moab, and they are looking basically across the Jordan River into the promised land, all right? They're ready, finally, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, to go into the land. And Moses has taken the first seven chapters, but chapter 7 in particular, to remind them that they are a chosen people, a treasured people, holy and appointed to the Lord. God has put them where he wants them. And also, he is a covenant-keeping God. His promise is to drive out the nations before the Israelites, but, but that hinges upon their faithfulness to him, right? He's going to drive out these, these pagan tribes that are, the, the scriptures say their wickedness has come to this point, right? This is not just the innocent, helpless people that Israel's kicking out of their land there, right? Uh, but God is going to do that work for them. He is the victor for them. But if they fail to follow his commandments, right, they've broken covenant with him, all right? So he's a covenant-keeping God, and that's an important aspect of this. And Deuteronomy, if you're familiar with the word, uh, actually means a second law or a re-giving of the law. It's not different from Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, but it's a retelling. It's a summary statement, a retrospective on the law that, that God has given his people to a new generation, right? Because none of the previous generation is going to be able to cross 
the, the Jordan River as it were. They've all passed out, uh, passed away, excuse me. They didn't pass out, they passed away in the wilderness, right? Uh, and so uh, they're not gonna, it's this pre- new generation that's gonna be able to go in. And so this is, Deuteronomy is a culmination of a four decade long lesson in learning to trust God alone. And that brings us to this point of where we just read that man shall not live by bread alone. Let's, let's look at that verse, all right, in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter eight. If you have your copies of the scripture, go ahead and open them up there. And just look at that verse three again one more time, because this is the central verse. Uh, you may be uh, familiar with it because Jesus quotes it in his temptation in the wilderness, which we'll talk about in a moment. But verse three says, he that is God humbled you And he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, if you have the ESV, if you're reading from that like I am, you may have a footnote that says that every in Hebrew actually just means by all, uh, which is why the RSV actually translates it everything. Man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And you'll see there are a couple of bullet points because I was thinking, you know, what else comes from the mouth of the Lord that man lives by? Because the ESV is trying to do a translative, interpretive thing there by telling us it's his word and we understand that to be true. But what else? What are the things that come from God's mouth? Well, the first thing is life, right? Because in the Genesis creation account, and God said appears 12 different times as God speaks the universe into existence. So by his decree, by his mouth, comes everything that we know, live, and breathe, right? All of creation comes from the mouth of the Lord. Not only that, more specifically, there's this very intimate moment in Genesis 2 where it says the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God actually breathes life from his mouth into his created man, right? And uh, so when we sing that song, that worship song, uh, Great Are You, Lord, when we sing, it's your breath in our lungs, this is the line I think about all the time. It's not just the breath I'm breathing to be able to exhale these words. It's also going way back to the beginning, the fact that I even have the ability to breathe at all, that I exist as a human being, comes back to God's creative work. But not only that, Hebrews 1.3 says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by what? The word of his power. The sustenance of the universe, its, its composition and the fact that it holds together, also, in a sense, comes from the mouth of the Lord. He decrees it to be, and so therefore it is. Isn't that cool? This comes from the mouth of the Lord. Not only that, this is where we start to think, this is, this is a little more familiar to us. So the word Torah is the Hebrew word for law. Uh, and in Exodus 24, three, we see Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Now, the word rules there is actually a slightly different Hebrew word, uh, but it's used synonymously with the word law. But I, I chose this passage in particular because you'll note that these rules, these laws, these commandments come from the words of the Lord, right? God speaks these things, the words, he spoke them to Moses, and then Moses recorded them. So the Torah, the law, comes from 
God's own decree. These are the comprehensive prescriptions, the do's, practice these things, abide by these things, and also the do nots, don't do these things because it will not go well for you if you engage in those things. So the law comes from God's mouth, but also this really important thing, covenant. And a little later in this passage of Deuteronomy chapter eight, Moses goes on to say, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm what? his covenant that he swore, right? His promise is spoken. He decrees it and he upholds his promise, right? So the covenant is spoken by God and then reiterated after generation, after generation, after generation from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on down to this present day uh, in in, uh, Deuteronomy chapter eight. So what we're talking about here, when we say that everything comes from the mouth of the Lord, we're talking about the testimony of how God brought life to his creation. We're talking about the rules and expectations and parameters and commandments and all those things. And we're talking about the promise that he will make to send his son, Jesus. And all of that is comprehensively contained in the scriptures, this this book called the Bible that we hold in front of us this morning, which is why Paul says to Timothy, all scripture from Genesis to Revelation, although at this point that Revelation would have been written yet, but speaking of the word of God is breathed out by God, right? From God's own mouth, given to man to record and write down. And therefore it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness that we as people of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's why we've spent the last three weeks honing in on the scripture is what we live and abide by so that we can effect change for God in the world. Does that make sense? So the whole canon of scripture is, is the comprehensive word of God and it comes from his own word. It's his own thought, it's his idea. It's communicated to us through man. And there's this really powerful image that we see in a couple of places in the New Testament where the word of God is compared in Hebrews 4 to a sharp two-edged sword. Remember that passage? Where it's able to divide neatly sinews and muscles and bone and all those kinds of things and get to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So that's the word of God is described as that. And then later on when uh, we're given the account of the return of Christ, the image that John chooses to use is that from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, right? It comes from his mouth, right? It's a spoken thing. It's, it's his word that is able to divide the sheep and the goats and hearts and to identify thoughts and intentions and all those kinds of things. So all that to say, God's every word breathed out is captured in our Bible and it provides for us as believers comprehensive, dependable, and absolute truth for the life of every believer. Isn't that an amazing gift that we've been given? It's an amazing gift that we've been given. And so we would do well to depend upon it. Certainly there's wisdom to be had in common grace ways in everyday life and the wisdom of of people, certainly from our own heritage and upbringing, all those kinds of things. And yet we subject all forms of wisdom and instruction to this authoritative inerrant source. So let's talk practical things for a couple of minutes in the time that we have together this morning. How do modern day Christians practice dependence upon the Bible? And I wanna suggest three things this morning of how we're gonna do this well. And this might sound a little redundant, but I I intend it for a reason. We wanna practice by careful practice, okay? We wanna practice dependence upon the Bible by careful practice. And by that, I mean, we must choose to submit our ways and our choices to God's commands. 
all right? It's a practice. We have to choose to do it carefully. And that's right out of the word here. In uh, verse 1 of Deuteronomy 8, Moses told the people, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. You shall be careful to do these things. And then later on in verse 6, he reiterates, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. As believers who subject ourselves to the word of God and say, this is the source of truth, this is what our lives are, are supposed to be molded by, we are resolving to live out our understanding of the word and our application of the word through careful practice. I'm going to be intentional to do it, but I'm also going to recognize that practice involves cuts and bumps and bruises and mistakes and learning experiences and, and stepping stones and all those kinds of things. So when we think about obeying the word of God, we immediately can think, I've got to, be, I've got to do this perfectly, right? I've, if I mess up, man, I'm like, I'm, it's like uh, there's, there's this thing hanging over my head and God's waiting to, to judge me in some way. And the reality is that you and I, by invitation to obey the commandments, have received the grace of Jesus Christ by placing our faith in him. And our righteousness is filthy rags, right? We are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. And so as we seek to practice these things, believers, there is grace for our failings as we practice them and learn how to do this well. Does that make sense? This is not an invitation for us to go out and live however we want, but there is incredible grace for us to say where we stumble, man, God picks us back up again. And that's an amazing thing for us to hold on to. So as we learn to do this, right, we're glorifying God's grace and his mercy. We're not glorifying our ability to do this well. All right? We want to improve in that by depending upon his grace. Careful practice is an act of perseverance. So as we seek to do the things that the Bible tells us to do, we're persevering in them, even if the fruit that we hope to see is not immediately forthcoming. Right? It's a, it's a long-sighted thing, a long journey of I'm going to be walking with Christ and practicing these things through the duration of my life. Think about, you know, if you've ever had to endure some type of medical treatment for, uh, you know, I don't know, some type of complication that you had in your body. You know, if you, the first time you take that medicine or, or go to that physical therapy or whatever it might be, it's not going to immediately produce the fruit that you want to see happen, right? It's not just like this instant miracle cure and all of a sudden you're all better, right? No, you have to do the regimen, right? Uh, I have the misfortune fortune of like getting uh, my ear clogged every once in a while. So this past summer I had like a, an ear infection where like, you know, I, every time I go swimming, it'd just be like, I couldn't hear out of this ear anymore because the water would just like get stuck in there and all that kind of stuff. And then go to the doctor and get the ear flushed out. super painful because, oh, by the way, there's an infection in there. Uh, and then, you know, they give you the drops and I got to do them. And so as I put the drops in, it's like, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's doing anything, you know, but I put them in. So like, do I, do I carry out the treatment for the next 10 days or however long I have to, you know, 14 days that I, that I take those for? Or do I just say, ah, you know, one drop is probably fine and you know, that's, that's good enough, right? I didn't see any results that I wanted to, so do I, do I quit? Or do I say, you know what, I'm gonna trust that this treatment is actually gonna do what it's supposed to do and continue to follow the practice so that the fruit of, of that comes out at the end of it, right? There, there's a long view in mind that even if there's not this immediate result, oh man, I read this passage of scripture and I applied it and wow, look at that, right? Sometimes that might happen and that might be the work of God in our lives, but that's probably not the norm. 
Usually we have to do this by careful practice through the bumps and the bruises, choosing to continue to obey, even perhaps at the expense of our own hearts telling us, no, 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 we don't need that, we want this, right? You remember the illustration that Pastor Phil had last week with the emotions, the will, the thought, right? All those, the, the interactions that were happening up here, right? Our hearts are often telling us, you know what, it's not, it's not working, let's do something else, right? But if we are willing to say, you know what, no, again, the word is the source of truth. The word is the thing that's gonna conduct, help me conduct my steps the right way. Then I keep practicing it, even if it feels like I'm just bumping up against a wall. And the Lord willing, the fruit begins to show in the future. Does that, does that make sense? I'm trusting in that for the future, all right? Now, I just wanna reiterate this one more time before we talk about our second point. It's just, you know, when we think about Christianity, what it means to follow Christ, we don't want to assume that, okay, God said there's commands, so I do them. Therefore, you know, Christianity is a bunch of rules. It's a bunch of things that I have to do to make God happy with me. And again, that is not the message of the gospel, right? Even though we're called to practice these, be careful to do them, right? The message of the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ is that God is not pleased with us. He is pleased with his son. We have by faith received his perfect righteousness. And therefore, we're covered by grace. So those who keep the commands of the Bible are therefore those who find life in them. Not drudgery, not, oh, I've got to do these things. Oh, not, I've got to you know, check these boxes. But I've received something beautiful in Christ. And therefore, I found life in what I get to do to live out this righteousness that he's given to me. Does that make sense? That is the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. I've used this analogy before. I may have used it with you in this room, but uh, Tim Keller tells the story of, you know, uh, a fish, right, is only free if the fish stays in the fishbowl, right? There's parameters around the fish's existence. We could say, well, for the fish to really be free, you should flop on out of there and, you know, enjoy the countertop for a little while, right? That wouldn't really be freedom for a fish, would it? That would be death for the fish. So when we think about our calling to abide by the teachings of scripture, right? We find freedom in the parameters that God designed for us because that is where life and flourishing are found by Jesus' grace, right? That's, that's our life, right? So I mean, it's imply that we're fish flopping around, but that's the idea, okay? So careful practice means we have to return regularly to this well of God's word. We have to return regularly to the well of, of prayer and engaging our hearts with God. We have to return to this well of being gathered with other believers to study the word of God together, not because the amount of time is the most important thing, but the quality of the time of, of, of coming back to this real source of life and truth and, and understanding, all right? Um, and, but the reality is the more we engage with good things, the more we want of them, and therefore the quantity is, is increasing, right, as we submit our hearts to these things. So by careful practice, that's one thing we're going to do. We must choose to submit our ways and choices to God's commands, even if the results seem so far down the road it might not even be worth the effort, right? It will be as we are persevering. Here's our second idea. We practice intentional dependence upon the Bible, excuse me, practice dependence upon the Bible by intentional hindsight. That is looking back and remembering, okay? We choose to rehearse the specific ways that God has fulfilled his promises. These are verses we looked at, but I want you to see them oops, side by side here. Oh, where did it go? Oh, come back. Sorry. There we are. Deuteronomy 8, 2, 11, and 18. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness 
And then verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, his statutes, which I command you today. And verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, right? And, and again, there's this long list that we didn't read together, but a long list of resources and blessings that God is gonna be providing for his people in the promised land. And what we're called to do here is remember, don't forget, right? But we have to intentionally look back and remember what God has done. Now, the idea here in uh, verse two, remember the whole way, is actually that same word, same Hebrew word for, um, in, in verse three that we looked at for man lives by everything that comes, is the same Hebrew word. So we're remembering the whole way, everything, all that God did, not just the good things, but also the challenging things that God brought us through, right? So we have to remember the whole way that God has provided for us, not just personally in our own experiences, but through the word of God, promising the coming of the Messiah and then revealing that in the New Testament. You know, as well as I do, that if we don't take care to remember, we inevitably forget, right? Uh, hindsight is 2020, but our memory is not, right? So we, we, you know, we have to look back and learn things, but we also have to like, oh yeah, that is what happened. That is how that went down so that we don't just lose these important details and we have a whole sense of what God has done. Our memory isn't always as clear unless we jog it routinely. Um, those of you who have ever like gotten back onto the field after taking a break from playing your particular sport for a period of time, you know how embarrassing that first time back on the field is, right? Like, you know, your muscles are, you know, I got the muscle memory, but the energy's not there. I feel depleted, you know. Uh, that, that can apply to any discipline too, by the way, if you picked up an instrument after a long time of not practicing, you're like, I hope this just comes back to me. And there may be some of that, but uh, usually you feel a little bit like, man, I, I should not have neglected this for so long, right? Uh, there's a period of time there like that we can't, uh, even the muscle memory can start to grow dull in that. So in the same way that we practice to keep our skills sharp, especially things that are perhaps our livelihood, we need to practice the word of God so that it and God's faithfulness to us in our own lives remains fresh, right? So we can look back and with intentional hindsight, choose to rehearse those specific and detailed ways that God has fulfilled his promise. We need to do that as individuals. We look at our own history. How has God you know, brought me to this personally, to this place and time? We also do that as a community, right? As, as a church family, we can remember how God has placed us here and what he's done. And that's not to glorify Fellowship Bible Church, but to glorify what God has chosen to do, right? We can do that as, as uh, you know, biological families. Remember how God has been faithful. We should do that in a couple of different ways. And we need to do that importantly because remember God's salvation, though it is personal, it's not personalized. It's personal, that is, he meets each one of us where we are, but, but God is invested in fighting God's battles, right? He's not, you know, here to just, you know, take care of every single little thing that I am wanting him to do. He's not at my beck and call that way, right? Certainly the scripture says he's available and he hears and answers our prayers, but we are working as believers to align our prayers to God's own will, right? Asking him to work and we're, we're, we're remembering that God meets us where we are, but his salvation is, is not this personalized thing that caters to our wants and needs and, and those types of things, right? He operates according to his plan, not mine, according to his character, not my expectations, all right? So where we remember that God meets us in our circumstances, we also, you know, unique to our own experiences, we also must remember to apply the gospel to the hardships that we're facing. How has God already answered prayer in the provision of his son? Whatever hard thing I'm facing that seems like God is not doing anything about it, 
He already has, right? He's provided Jesus, who is the answer to all of our prayers, right? So that is the, the thing that we're remembering as we rehearse this, one of the things that we're remembering as we rehearse this. So um, in that process, right, we also have to consider, as the Israelites are being forced to do here, where has God taken us that we would not have planned to go? Where has God chosen to bring us that you and I would have said, if I'm the one doing the itinerary, we're not going there, right? And that's Israelites' experience, right? Remember, God was taking them to a good land that was overflowing with all kinds of blessings, but they still had to go through the wilderness first. And they had to go through the wilderness, and it was supposed to be a short trip, but then they get to the edge of the promised land, and they don't rely on God. And they're like, no, we can't do it. You know, it's, the, the land is going to be impossible to take. The enemies are like giants, all that kind of stuff. And so then now they're on a four-decade wandering cycle, holding pattern, right? And so either way, they still had to go through this place where God was going to test and, and cause them to evaluate whether they would really depend on him. The manna that God provided, uh, manna literally means what is it, right, in, in Hebrew, which is kind of a funny concept. Uh, and so when it says that in, in uh, Deuteronomy 8.3 that he fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, it's like this, what is this? And why are we not getting more quail all the time? And, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? It's like, this is not what we wanted, but it is the thing that God is choosing to give that's going to sustain them throughout their journey, Right? So we have to remember, how does God give us things that might not be what we wanted in the moment, but was still his good provision for us? And when we think about the word of God and what it means to live by every word that comes from God's mouth, everything that comes out of his mouth, all right, even in the absence of the things that we desire, we can remember that the word of God can sustain and carry us through incredible hardship through the loss, through the weight, through the sin, right? That as we come back to the word of God, he is promising to deliver through his son. I was thinking about this passage in David Platt's book, Radical. Uh, I'd just like to read a short section of it to you. But I think that when we come to depend upon the word of God, it's hard for us to do that because of where we live, where we expect our basic needs to be met every single day, and not just that, but our, our wants to be met every single day. So David Platt tells this story about a time that he was in an undisclosed church in Asia, and he says this, on my first day with these believers, they simply asked me to lead a Bible study. Please meet us tomorrow at two o'clock in the afternoon. So I put some thoughts together for a short Bible study and went to the designated location where about 20 house church leaders were waiting. I don't remember when we started, but I do remember that eight hours later, we were still going strong. We would study one passage and then they would ask about another. This would lead to another topic, then to another. And by the end of the day, our conversations had ranged from dreams and visions to tongues and the Trinity. It was late in the evening and they wanted to continue studying, but they needed to get back to their homes. So they asked the two main church leaders and me, can we meet again tomorrow? I said, I would be glad to. Shall we meet at the same time? They responded, no, we want to start early in the morning. I said, okay, how long would you like to study? They replied, all day. Thus began a process in which over the next 10 days for eight to 12 hours a day, we would gather to study God's word. They were hungry. 
On the second day, I introduced these relatively new believers to the story of Nehemiah. I gave them the background and history of this Bible book and showed them in Nehemiah 8 the importance of God's word. Afterward, we took a short break, and I saw the leaders talking intently about something in small groups. A few minutes later, one of them approached me. We have never learned any of this truth before, and we want to learn more, she said. Then she dropped the bomb. Would you be willing to teach us all the books of the New Testament, or Old Testament, excuse me, while you're here? I laughed. Smiling, I said, all the Old Testament? That would take a long time. By this time, others were joining in the conversation, and they said, we will do whatever it takes. Most of us are farmers and we work all day, but we will leave our fields unattended for the next couple of weeks if we can learn the Old Testament. So that's what we did. And he goes on, I'll skip down a little bit, uh, and it doesn't just stop there. What do you think they want to learn next? The New Testament. And he stays and he continues to do that. So then he goes on to say, just imagine, he's summarizing now, just imagine going to a worship gathering in one of those house churches. Not an all-day training in the Word, just a normal three-hour worship service late in the evening. The Asian believer who is taking you gives you the instructions. Put on dark pants and a jacket with a hood on it. We will put you in the back of our car and drive you into the village. Please keep your hood on and your face down. When you arrive in the village under the cover of night, another Asian believer meets you at the door of the car. Follow me, he says. With your hood over your head, you crawl out of the car, keeping your face toward the ground. You begin to walk with your eyes fixed on the feet of the man in front of you as he leads you down a long and winding path with a small flashlight. You hear more and more footsteps around you as you progress down the trail, and then finally you round the corner and walk into a small room. Despite its size, 60 believers have crammed into it. They're all ages, from precious little girls to 70-year-old men. They are sitting either on the floor or on small stools, lying shoulder to shoulder, huddled together with their Bibles in their laps. The roof is low and one light bulb dangles from the middle of the ceiling as the sole source of illumination. No sound system, no band, no guitar, no entertainment, no cushion chairs, no heated or air-conditioned building. Nothing but the people of God and the Word of God. And strangely, that's enough. God's Word is enough for millions of believers who gather in house churches just like this one. His Word is enough for millions of other believers who huddle in African jungles, South American rainforests, and Middle Eastern cities. But is his word enough for us? I don't know that I have that type of dependence on God's word. That even if my belly is hungry, and it's swelteringly hot, and I've got a field to attend to, Am I really so in love with learning about this God who breathed out his word for me that that's all I need? I don't know. The truth of God's word can sustain the heart and the mind, even through hunger, thirst, sickness, tragedy, and oppression. The word of God can sustain. And often, we don't know how to be fully dependent upon the word until the things that we actually depend upon are stripped away. And that was Israel's experience, right? Taken out into the wilderness where they're going to have to rely on God to give them everything they need every single day as they journey to the promised land. Let's talk about this last one. We're almost out of time. We're out of time here. So I will talk quickly about this one. The third thing is by humble trust. We choose to surrender practicality and self-preservation where God calls us to live by the principles of his word. 
we choose to surrender practicality and self-preservation as believers where God calls us to live by the principles of his word. What do I mean by this? All right, so uh, verse two said, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your hearts, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he let you, he humbled you and let you hunger, fed you with manna, so that we may know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It is not practical or self-preserving to say, yes, God, I'm gonna follow you into the wilderness. Is it? If as an, someone thinking with American sensibilities, no, I'm not going there, right? There's, there's a better way to get to the promised land, God, a much more efficient way. It's by the way, through the Philistines land, you know, which where God said, I'm not gonna take them that way. So um, I, I'm gonna think about how can I make this better for me, right? So biblical contentment that says, I'm gonna practice the word of God and depend upon it according to the way uh, Paul writes about it in Philippians 4, right, where I've learned in all things to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me through that contentment, okay? That is incompatible with our American thinking, with a practical self-advancing society. The commands of the scripture are things like sell everything you have, right, and follow me, all right? If you're tempted by this, pluck your eyeball out and chop your hand off, all right? Because it's better to be deprived in some way in this life and follow Jesus and enter into eternity with him than, uh, than anything else, right? So the commands of scripture are certainly metaphoric in some of those places, right? But really causing us to evaluate what can we remove so that there are no impediments to us following Jesus wholeheartedly, all right? The commands of scripture are contrary to practical, self-advanced, self-improving kind of thought. So we have to, we, yeah, we're totally out of time this morning. I apologize. So I, I, I want to say a couple of really, really important things before we dismiss out of here. When I fail to trust the promises of God's word, when I choose to practice even its most challenging directives, I am defaulting back to that bread alone kind of living, right? Not depending on the word that comes out of God's mouth, but this is, you know, I, I'm just living by my own resources, right? Bread can represent all kinds of things, right? Most notably, the ability to provide for your own needs, right? That I, I maybe as in an agrarian society, I not only planted the wheat, I also harvested it and then I beat it out and, and baked it. And now I provided myself everything that I need. We could think that way, or we could be reminded that even the ability for us to plant seed and have seed and that seed to grow and produce fruit comes from God's hand, not me. And maybe the test for us as we think about that in our context is, you know, how do we reinforce to our families that what we're eating on the table each night is not, you know, my hard-earned money that put that there, right? But man, this is a blessing from the Lord that we have this meal to eat together. And it's probably better than most people around the world are eating. Depending on God's word, not our own provision. We have to trust him for uh, his, his provision that he's gonna handle those things. We often have to, has to have to trust him through things like his discipline, which he lays out in here as well, that God was testing the Israelites to see what was in their hearts. We are in a place as well where God is doing a work of evaluation through his own word. Again, Hebrews 4.12 says that it's like a two-edged sword that evaluates, can slice and decipher so that we can see more clearly what is it that we need to do to respond to God's teaching, God's commands. But it also says that um, God's word in, in James, it also says it's like a mirror. It's showing our hearts up close so that we can grow to eradicate all of our false loves and all the other things that we would choose to depend upon instead and be totally committed to Christ alone. So 
By way of, of conclusion here, we practice dependence upon the word by humbly trusting that God is going to produce the results and the fruit. We choose to surrender our practicality and self-preservation where God calls us to live by the principles of his word. By careful practice, we choose to submit our ways and choices to God's commands. And then we also do this by intentional hindsight, choosing to rehearse the specific ways in the scripture and our personal testimonies that God has provided for us, that God has fulfilled his promise. I wanna, I wanna end with this thought. This is really, really important for us, okay? God's greatest provision for man is obviously not bread that nourishes the body. We agree, in agreement on that, right? The fact that he provides for us to like live is important, okay? But it's still not the greatest provision that he's given to us. And I also wanna make this statement, which hopefully is not causing you to get your pitchforks out, all right? God's greatest provision for man is also not the Bible, though it is authoritative and we live by it. I say that because God's greatest provision for man is Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, who nourishes the soul, and is also the incarnate word, right? That's what he is referred to in the scriptures. He is the manifestation of all of God's truth. So when we come to the scriptures, we have to remember as Jesus told the Pharisees, there, you know, he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but they testify about me, right? That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. So we also need to come to the word of God recognizing that the scriptures are authoritative and we submit our lives to them because they introduce us to who Jesus is. Amen? Jesus is the greatest provision that God has provided for us. Are you hungry for him today? Are you hungry for him today? As a person who is searching for truth and has not found it, and as a believer, coming back to say, I, I need to understand the Savior that I worship more and more so that I can be more and more like him. Let's, let's bow our heads and our hearts as we close. Father, thank you uh, for this time that we've had together this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we think about the scripture and what it means for us as we change, seek to change our world for you, that we would be reminded that we can't affect any change that one, you don't will, and also that if we aren't ourselves willing to be changed by the power of the word, how can we ever expect, uh, Lord, those around us to be impacted by it as well? So cause us, Lord, whether we are here for, hearing gospel themes for the first time, to acknowledge that we need a savior, that, that there is no way for us to overcome our sin problem, but to by faith receive what Christ has done for us, or whether we are a longtime believer coming back to this place again and saying, I need to stop living by my own wisdom and instead practice the commands of the scripture because in them, through Jesus, I have life. Lord, thank you for the ability to study your word for ourselves. Thank you that we don't need someone to go between us and you. Rather, Lord, thank you for the fact that you came directly to us to be with us and to plant your word in our hearts. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Help us to live by the scriptures as we go from this place in Jesus' name, amen.